0: welcome to the edges of lean i'm bella engelbach and in this podcast we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking unusual places where lean thinking is practiced we meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles so come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean Episode 47, Continuous Improvement and Finding Your Givers, with E.A. Salkovitz. E.A. Salkovitz is the founder of Givers University. He's been in business since the age of 16. But he's not just about the financial side of business. He's fascinated by observing people. He's also the kind of person who's established and owned a thousand-acre wildlife sanctuary. He's a commercial pilot. He has a second-degree black belt in martial arts, and he's an advanced PADI certified scuba diver. EA is here to talk to us about what he means by a giver and how you find the givers in your life.
1: EA Salkovitz, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you so much for having me on your great podcast and uh, I look forward to being able to share hopefully some uh, great nuggets with your listeners to the point that they'll even want to listen a couple of times because of so much content.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. That sounds great. Tell us about EA and uh, what are you doing and how did you get to do
1: it? Okay. Boy, that's a great question. I can uh, First, I should warn your listeners, I never say anything in 10 minutes if I can say it in 20. So you know they're gonna, So with an open-ended question like that, I'm ready to go. All right. So uh, I, I live in Michigan now. Uh, born and raised in the Chicago land area, and uh, uh, my father was a milkman. This is num- many years ago, decades and decades ago, uh, and and back then, you know, the milkman basically had his own truck. My dad had his own truck, one-man operation. Uh, And, you know, he used to deliver milk to people's houses, and they had this box outside their house that was a milkman's box, and there was money in the box. You know what was amazing, uh, Bella, was that back then, all the milkman boxes had money in them, and no one ever touched the money. Different times. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Different times, you know, and, and milk was in glass containers, you know, glass gallons. They, they went to plastic probably how many I broke helping my father on his route. So they, they we got to figure something else out. And they went to plastic. But uh, and I, I certainly have fond memories of helping him at the ripe old age of five years old. Is But watching him getting up at three in the morning and, and back then only the big 18 wheelers were refrigerated. So the delivery trucks weren't. And uh, so he had to chop up ice. So they had these six foot six foot high blocks of ice, and I would watch him with an ice pick chop these big blocks of ice up with an ice pick, and then he had these big tongs, and he'd take them and put it on top of the milk in the truck, and that's how he kept it cold during the summer when we were delivering the milk, you know, because I mean, nothing was refrigerated back then. It's just a big one. So, and, and it was just and the thing that was interesting, Bella, was I watched my father get up without anyone telling him get up and go to work. He just did it. You know, he got up at 3 in the morning and he went and that was it. And he wasn't punching a time clock. He didn't have someone looking over his shoulder. It was his own route, quote unquote. And, uh, you know, and and he had his own customers and and worked for Twin Oaks Dairy, which was the dairy out of the Chicagoland area. So pretty, but my upbringing was very underneath what you'd say medium, average income kind of. If you took, if you figured out what medium lifestyle was or average, we were probably one little notch right underneath that. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we, we got by. You know, I had plenty to eat as a kid, and the reason I knew that is my mother always said, "No, you've had plenty." So I know that. <laughs> 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 so I always knew I had plenty to eat.
0: <laughs> but your dad was working hard physically in order for that to happen. That was uh...
1: for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and every day, you know, I mean, and so I, I watched it and witnessed it, you know, that you, you don't to, to go on with whatever you need in life. You don't need to have someone standing over you saying you need to do this thing or this is what you want to do. And this is what you said. Oh, go ahead and do it. Right. And uh, then at 16 years old, Bella, I took my first big step into becoming a success and I became a janitor. Now, wow, good for you. I didn't mind doing that because business was always picking up.
0: What? Ah,
1: uh-huh. ha, <laughs> <laughs> so if our listeners are still with us at this point I I can tell them what happened I might have just lost them anyway so the uh, and at 16 years old I worked for this janitorial service and I uh, was able to be bonded which means insured so uh, you know if my buffer hit something you know some piece of equipment the insurance company would pay for it that allowed me to be in expensive places and allowed me to be in expensive homes and every Wednesday I cleaned the lady's home. I was there. She had a full-time maiden butler. I was there to clean the swimming pool and buff the floor. She had special tile and all that kind of stuff in the garage. That kind of. And when I make the name reference, I won't mean anything to your listeners. Uh, until I make the movie reference, then they'll probably know who I'm talking about. So there was a movie a few years back. And it's the movie's name was called, or the title was called The Founder. It was about McDonald's. And, oh, Ray uh, Kroc, the Kroc family. Exactly. And uh, Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, right? And uh, I want to let you know that I lived there. I lived in the Oak Brook area where the world headquarters of McDonald's was for decades and decades. It has since moved, but decades and decades, it was the world headquarters of McDonald's was in Oak Brook, where I lived, right? And uh, it, at the beginning of the... Mo- so I lived... The whole mcdonald's experience you know in the movie i don't know if you caught it but uh you know uh they uh, michael keaton as ray Kroc, you know calls mcdonald's number one the first franchise he opens that franchise in this we drove by probably 200 times at the end of my dad's milk route every day so you know i and i remember seeing when the sign said one million hamburgers sold and i thought a million hamburgers that's more than i could
0: eat in a day that's a lot that's <laughs> a lot. of Yeah, yeah. So if you couldn't hear that, what he said—that that's a lot of hamburgers, a right? Million. So a million, yeah. so a million hamburgers, and now the signs say billions and billions sold, right? Because yeah. there's yeah. just just a few more than a million have been sold.
1: Yeah, they've actually done statistical analysis most recently, and McDonald's is responsible for feeding one percent of the world population every day. That's incredible. How's that for a number for you? But anyway, so the, uh, yeah, I mean, those are real numbers. Those aren't just made up. Those are real ones. So based on McDonald's volume and sandwiches, et cetera. But anyway, so in the movie, first of all, I want to say the movie in the beginning says is based on a true story. That's true, but it's not the true story. That's not what happened, right? It's all Hollywood spin. They paint Ray in a way he was not. Ray Kroc was not the way he was in the movie. I mean, they, that's all Hollywood spin and drama to try to get people, you know, you got to have a bad guy and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't that way. But there are many events in the movie that are nodded to that that actually did happen. In the movie, Michael Keaton playing Ray Kroc talks to a lady outside his office all the time. She's in the whole movie and he says, June this, June this, June that. That lady's name is June Martino. That lady, June Martino, is the lady whose house I cleaned every Wednesday. So when I met her, she had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. So she was an icon already in the area. Everyone knew who June Martino was. She was worth more zeros than I had fingers and toes. So, you know, and and so here I am cleaning. And here's the thing, Bella, that was so astonishing to me. I don't know why, but I thought up to that point, you know, here I am at 16, right? that in order to be rich and successful, you had to be a jerk. You had to be me only, me first, you know, be willing to squash people and step on people and climb their way, your way up by taking advantage of them. I don't know where that came from. I was wrong, but I had that thought. And she was so the opposite, it wasn't even funny. You couldn't have thought of a more opposite scenario than the way she was, so approachable. So nice, so easy to talk to, and yet she was a full time maiden butler. I'm here. She's got a janitorial service doing the heavy work in her house. It's a, it's a million dollar mansion back then. I was 16, right? I mean, so I mean, who knows how many millions that house is worth now? It was in a place called Ginger Creek, which was uh, basically an annex to uh, the Oak Brook area in Chicagoland, suburb of Chicago, where the world headquarters was. And I was astonished by how approachable. And nice this lady was. If I was walk, if I had my head down and I was buffing, and she walked through the room, if I didn't, even if I didn't look up, she would still say hello. You know, I mean, just that kind of, and that was that was so curious to me. I thought, how can that be? You know, what is she some kind of anomaly or something? Because I thought, you know, rich people and successful people weren't this way. How, how did this happen? And that was astonishing to me, Bella. It really was. And she told me one day. I asked her about the whole McDonald's thing. I got up enough courage, not no 16-year-old, shaking in his janitorial boots. Goes up to her and I, you know, I'm going to ask the icon, June Martino, a question. But she knew who I was. I was in there every week, you know, so, you know, when I approached her, she knew she had always said hi 100 times already and hello and that kind of thing. So I asked her if she could tell me all about it. So she told me the McDonald's story from where she started working for Ray uh, when he was a milkshake mixer salesman for Prince Castle, all the way to when he met the brothers, the McDonald's brothers, all the way up to virtually the minute we're standing in her kitchen. She even had the maids and butlers bringing us food so she could keep telling me the story while her and I are sitting in her kitchen. And I kept thinking, this is June Martino. What's she doing telling this snot-nosed kid this whole story all day long? I mean, it was just, uh, I was still kept looking around thinking there must be someone else here. There's no way she's telling me this story.
0: So why do you think she did that? Why was she doing that?
1: In retrospect, I can share with you that. I think June sensed, you know, she was a smart lady and I think she sensed when I asked her, it wasn't because I wanted to get next to the icon, June Martino. It was because I really wanted to know what happened. So and she was. I think was, she knew the difference, and because of that, made the investment in time, because it was a it was something I genuinely was interested in. It wasn't. I was trying to smooze myself to get close to the icon June Martino.
0: She must have been
1: been interested in your curiosity. I, I, I'm and sure she, she was. You know, I, and, yeah. and 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 I think she knew I really meant it. You know, I mean, what, uh-huh. happened, you know, what. And uh, she told me about how Ray influenced her life and how, for all intents and purposes, he was her mentor. And, you know, I didn't know what mentor was when she was explaining all this, but she did say how he influenced her in a huge way. And I remember thinking, Bella, I need a Ray Kroc. That's what I I need. I need to find me a Ray Kroc. Where would I find someone that could put me under their wing and teach me all the things I don't know? Because All I know is I know I don't know it, whatever it is. I don't know even what it is I'm supposed to know or what I don't know. And I need to have someone teach me what it is. So what were you at that age of 16
0: working as a janitor? um, I'm I'm sure you were going to school at the same time. What were you thinking you were going to do when you grew up?
1: Well, um, first of all, I was very fortunate. uh, All four years of high school, they have a thing they call high school in where I was in Chicagoland area, and I was on what's called the work program. So I only went to school three hours in the morning from Uh 7.30 to 10.30 each day for all four years. And uh, so I was very fortunate with that. And I was, of course, you know, breaking all kinds of child labor laws, like I'd say, you know, so many decades ago. But, you know, I was I was working 40 to 50 hours a week all through high school because i watched these teachers who would put their feet up on the desk and they had holes in their bottoms of their shoes and you know and my shop teacher who only had you know three fingers and you know i mean all these people i thought you know if these guys knew how to do any of the things i want to do they would be doing it part time <laughs> you know they're not even doing that so i thought yeah i need to find some i need to find i i had a reality of i didn't know what i needed to know and that I I knew there were people that knew it, so I I, uh-huh. I didn't know I didn't know what I wanted to be, I just knew I wanted to be it, you know. And there was I, whatever I just, whatever it
0: was. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that was being molded, you know. I was just saying, you know, I knew I wanted to be I wanted to be rich and happy, not realizing I even had those two backwards, Bella, because we actually should be happy first and then rich. But at 16 years old, I'm all about the money, right? I mean, yeah, show me the money. And uh, so you know, how am I gonna? Here she is, you know. She's. I'm. I. I love pulling out June's Rolls Royce to clean her garage because, I'm sitting in a car that's ten lifetimes of my income, and at night I would go home, and I would drive my Rolls Canardly, which basically is a car that rolls down one hill and can hardly make it up the next. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I wanted to, I. I wanted to. I just wanted a uh, Rolls Royce, man. If I could just. If I could have one of those, you know, I'm a 16 year old, right. And, uh, and, and thinking all those thoughts, but I knew I, I want, I had a desire for those things and I knew I didn't know how to get there. And so but your I just first
0: idea was, your first idea was it's probably not getting up at 3.00 AM chopping ice. Right. right. It's, it's not right. And, um, the people who have it this is your idea was was that the way they got there was by being incredibly mean and cruel and avaricious and June Martino just flipped that around for you
1: yeah it really happened that way and I and I and, and she was such a curiosity for me when I was buffing the floor and I, I would watch how she interacted with the help. she had a full-time maiden butler and, I, and it never condescending always nice and i would just and and i came to the realization you know while buffing her floors and cleaning her swimming pool and you know built in swimming pool and everything else and and i and i just and i came to the realization well she's like a regular person she's not like there i don't see any you know she's not like an alien i don't see anything that you know that is some spectacular super thing she does that no one, she just seems like a really nice kind person So she, so I I came to the realization that it's one of two things. She knows something I don't know, or she's doing something I'm not doing. And I realized later on it was actually both. She knew something I didn't know and she was doing something I wasn't doing. But other than that, I thought, well, I mean, she's a regular person. I must not know 16 year old, whatever she learned. I, mean, I could learn it. I could learn anything I want to learn if I just want to learn it. And whatever she did, I mean, I could probably do it, too, if I just learned how to do it, if I learned a skill yeah. someone could teach me. And, and it was really right. in its most basic, you know, most basic elemental kind of frame of thought of a snot-nosed 16-year-old son of a milkman burnt-out janitor thinking that it has to be one of those two things. And it was, was and it was
0: and it it was both it was both things. So flash forward a little bit for me. Yep. Um, so you graduated from high school, uh, you I guess you're heading out in the world. Um wh- at what point did you get into into business? Well,
1: it was uh, I, I- there was two big events that happened while was a janitor. The one was, of course, meeting Jude Martino. That, that was, that, I call that my eye-opening experience, you know? Uh-huh. It opened my eyes, you know? And uh, up until then, I had been blind in ways I didn't realize. And, and then the second experience that happened when I was a janitor was we had a phone call, came in our janitorial service for a guy coming in from Michigan to open a diamond store, and he wanted to see some carpeting. My boss sent me over to show some carpeting. This man and I hit it off. He uh, offered me a job. And he became the father I never had, even though I had a father, and I became the son he never had, even though he had a son. And he became my Ray Kroc. And, and so he
0: was that mentor that you... that even though when you didn't know what a mentor was, or that, was that you realized that you, you wanted that, you needed that.
1: He had those things, you know? He, he had, I mean, wealth was permeating out of his cells. You know, I could just tell. And, and and he was happy. And, I, and you know, what you would think of success and prosperous if you sort of painted a picture in your mind. And and so, you know, I just locked in. I said, man, here, here he is. Here's my Ray Kroc. My question has been answered. You know, my, my question of where would I find him. There he is. And so I became, because of what he taught me, I became such a huge advocate for mentoring. You know, the reason people need Bellas in their life is because Bella can bring... A perspective they cannot have, and I use the example of if you looked at a football game, there's a reason the coaches are on the sideline. They don't stand next to the quarterback. If they stood next to the quarterback, they would see the same thing he sees. You know. So, but when you're on the sideline, you can whisper in the quarterback's ear through a microphone and say, "Look at that big guy coming on the left side. He's about ready to knock you down in a big way." Because you have a different perspective that the Quarterback is not able to have because he's in the game. That's why people need Bellas like you in their life. So you can give them perspective of things they're not able to see on their own because they're not able to. They're in a different place.
0: And I think that's really, it's really important to think about because we talk about mentoring and we talk about coaching, that mentoring and coaching, apart from there being like a sports example, are not the same thing, right? So mentoring is exactly what you're talking about. This is this person who has perspective, who has experience, um, you know, who can, in effect, watch you, um, can tell you the lay of the land, can tell you, you know, here's what, what might be coming up next, whereas a coach... Is somebody who um, helps you with your own thinking, and many people find that a meant having a mentor and a coach, um, it's good to have both. Right? You could have both, um, and you'll find them in different places. Sometimes a mentor, coaches. Sometimes a coach, mentors. But um, uh, it's it's really valuable, and it's especially if I could just take another aside, EA, it's especially valuable for women because. Men, I think um, there's sort of this pathway um, in business where men uh, get mentored. Um, Women often don't feel that they should have a mentor or that they deserve a mentor or or that you have to be at a certain level to have a mentor that none of that is true. Right. You could be 16.
1: For sure. For sure. And uh, and and. Thank you for making that distinction because I, I wholeheartedly concur. And, uh, you know, that, and, and, to lock in just sort of if I can for the moment on the mentoring part because there is a distinction for sure because we can have coaches that teach us how to do certain things at any one moment in time where a mentor is more of a life commitment you know you're you're committed to the person is a much more intimate relationship and you know they're watching you closely and you know and, and living things with you if you will whereas a coach can just you know, a coach can teach you how to do a thing if you will so mentoring specifically mentoring specifically I can share with your listeners You know, I've had people say, well, I can't afford a mentor. I can't afford a coach. I am the first one to say, the fact that you said that proves you need one. You just answered why you need one, because if you can't afford one, there it is. In my world, if you don't have mentoring and if you don't have coaching, we call that Bella. There's one word for it that I use, and it's a little strong, but I say it. I'm not afraid to identify the elephant in the room. If you don't have a mentor and you don't have coaches, In my world we call that naive that's what we call it right you think you can do it you can figure it out you know how to do it all on your own and all you're doing is going to be making a whole lot of mistakes that someone else has already made and they could compress time and lost fortunes into you merely having them help you now the difference again to sort of skew towards mentoring specifically different than coaching as you very astutely pointed out I can say the following over the years I've met many Many educated idiots. Now the diff- distinction there is an educated idiot is a person that, who's going to spew book information to you that they learned, but they themselves truly have never done it. When you want a mentor, now not coaching, it's a different thing. When from a mentor, when you want a mentor, you've got to be able to ask one question: What have you done? Don't be afraid to ask that question. And if they're not able to, then all you're going to be doing is paying for their education at your expense. Hence, educated idiot. So when you get a mentor, you want someone who's done it because here's the critical point. Yes, it's important that they've done it. But when someone has done it, Bella, they also bring with them automatically all the things that did not work. That's where the wisdom is. That's where the wisdom is.
0: And this is very interesting from a lean perspective, from a continuous improvement perspective, because one of the things that we think is very important is that you learn from your mistakes. Right. But it doesn't make sense to learn from mistakes. If those mistakes, if there's knowledge available from somebody else having already done that learning right and that and that's the key uh, just to you know to kind of take it back to something like lean product development the key to developing a product quickly is not to go ahead and make the mistakes that somebody else already made in developing a similar product right that is a complete waste of your time you only want to make new mistakes in learning new things that haven't been learned yet so um, this is this is incredibly important it is not necessarily good for you to make mistakes that you don't have that you don't have to make when that knowledge is available if you can find a way to get it
1: and they end up costing us time and money that we don't need to spend either one of those because it's a foolish it's a fuel spending of money I could use and and I totally agree with what you said and I I, I appreciate I love the way you're you're summing up some of the thoughts so that your listeners can get the extra you know the the real Power of of some of these things that were taught to me. I didn't make up any of these things. They were taught to me by people smarter than me, specifically my mentor. Uh-huh. But as an example, just as an example to you know demonstrable, uh, you know I, I became a commercial pilot, and when I was getting my private pilot license, um, I had an instructor with me that was teaching me how to fly instruments. It's a special rating for you know flying planes in the clouds, and uh, and and so I landed the plane, and he looked at me. And he said, well, I guess it's true. And I said, what's that? He said, any landing you can walk away from is a good one. And I, <laughs> sort of, and, I, and, I, and I sort of chuckled and he said, what was that? And I said, well, that was a landing. He said, no, it wasn't. He said, that's a fast way to make all your passengers throw up. He said, that's not a landing. And I said, but I said, I've, I'm already a private pilot. I, pri- I passed my check ride. My instructor taught me how to do this. My CFI certified flight instructor, he taught me how to do these landings and I've done them and he said they were fine. And I, I, I had a FAA examiner said my landing was okay. I passed my private pilot. He goes, I'm telling you, that's not a landing. He said, that's a gut-wrenching experience that you can barely walk away from. He said, now, watch this. And he took me around the pattern. He came in and we landed, Bella. And I couldn't tell we landed unless I looked outside the window. It was so soft and so smooth. And he said, now, you want to learn how to do that? And I said, yeah, man, that's like, I, I, that was a squeaker. I couldn't even, if I didn't hear the the tires go beep, beep, like a little tiny squeak, you know, where they're just sort of touching the pavement. And it was so smooth, I didn't, i didn't. unless I looked outside, I would not have known we were landing. I still would have thought we were flying. He said, I'll show you how to do that every single time you come in. It's the same thing. He said, you were just taught wrong and you didn't realize that there is a much better way. I'm here to show you. So not only did he help me get my instrument rating, but he did, he taught me how to do squeaker landings. I use that as an example because I had been doing those landings over and over again, thinking I was doing great. How many of your listeners are thinking they're doing the right thing they should be doing over and over again, not realizing they needed someone in the right seat that says, what the heck was that? You know that that you yeah, can't call that a landing, and that's what there's where the wisdom comes in. Do you agree? I, I totally agree, and I, I have a very similar experience. So,
0: and I talked about this when I was um on, on Mark Graven's podcast. So I I I'm a singer as a hobby, and I'm taking voice lessons again at my advanced stage, and I have a new teacher who is also a um a, a, a vocal therapist. So she she knows a lot about the anatomy. Um, which I think some of my previous teachers didn't didn't know. Uh, no, I mean they just hadn't learned that. Every, almost everything I thought I knew about singing that I had been taught by people that I had paid money to, some of whom had a careers in opera or who were, you know, you know, voice teachers that pe- the, in some cases were sought out. Almost everything they taught me was wrong. I'm learning this now at my age. So- Little, little too late for the for my singing career. Not that I would have had a singing career, but um, it, to me that it's just fascinating, right? That 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 you can be taught these things, and they're actually you can pay money to to be taught these things, and they're actually the wrong
1: things to do. Um, yeah, I think I think I sang one time, and then someone asked me, "Can you sing in the, Can you do singing in the rain?" And I said, I think so. And I said, fine, could you leave here and go outside and sing? Because we don't want to hear that. (laughs) Go sing in the rain. (laughs) That was my extent of singing. So there's so much for that. (laughs) But uh, I can share with you that from a mentoring perspective, you know, and, and that's really one of the things I want to share with your listeners. If you don't have a mentor, get one. You know, they're so so important important. and such a vital vital part part of our life and our success and prosperity and and from coaching. And, you know, and and I'm an advocate for uh, using 10% of your income and putting that into self-growth. And I've had people say, well, I can't, you know, we're barely getting by. I can't afford to do 10%. I said, do you know what you just said? The fact that you cannot invest 10% of your income into your own self-growth means you need to invest the 10% in your self-growth. Stop spending somewhere else and then you'll never have to worry about all the money you need. I said, you're misspending it. I said, the best thing you could do is make that investment in self-growth, in coaching, in mentoring. And many mentors, some of the best mentors don't want anything financially from you. They don't need it. They've already have it, but, they, but once they get it that you really genuinely want to know, you really want to know, you'll be surprised at how open they can be and how once they realize that you really, it's genuine and sincere and that you want to learn so that you can apply and help others, you'd be amazed at how many people will open up and help you and guide that path right for you. They're there. Those people are out there every day.
0: One of the things that I do as a coach is I um, often suggest to my the people that I'm coaching that they find a mentor, um, uh, maybe more than one mentor if they don't have one. Because one of the things I, as a coach, I can't see the uh, the field they're playing on. I only see them. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, right. it's 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 really different. So tell us, EA, what is Givers University?
1: Well, we actually we're we're an online. Uh... University, we have online courses, and, uh, and, and we have basically our foundation course series is called Give to Be Great, uh, and that consists of three courses. The first one is the Giver's Mindset, second is the Giver's Lifestyle, and the third is the Giver's life's, uh, Lifelong Learning. And those are three courses that make up the Give to Be Great courses. Simply put, we teach one word, discernment. And that discernment is in relationships and i've done i think i'm right at about 190 interviews since last april so my goal was 200 interviews april to april and not one host has ever told me i know someone else is teaching that as soon as i go through the explanation right now and that is it's a skill and an art that's not being taught simply put so, in an, i'm sorry yeah
0: so what you're saying is what you're teaching is discernment in relationships so what is that? So mean? I think we sometimes we talk about discernment in a, a spiritual sense or we talk about discernment in, you know, what type of career should we go for, but you're talking about relationships, which which means discernment then
1: about people. Correct. And here's what we do. First of all, I say to all your listeners, I say this emphatically, we love everybody. I say it again, we love everybody. And we teach people a skill of not being that's not being taught, and it's as follows. We teach people how to separate the person we love from their deeds, which we may not love. And we actually teach an observation skill, an awareness skill. Watch what they're doing. As we say in Givers University, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, when we te- we even have checklists. We teach people we have one that's called the 25 do's. It's actually a checklist, Bella, of the 25 things you should be watching people do. Observe them, watch what they're doing. And from these observations, you now begin to discern because of what I see them doing, not what they're saying, because of what I see them doing. Should I bring them closer into my life and become a part of what we call our givers community? because givers always bring with them the three W's of a giver, wisdom, wealth, and wellness, or because of what I see them doing, their deeds, should I now begin discerning and respectfully, not rude or nasty, should I begin to respectfully distance myself from them? Because if I bring them closer, they're going to work havoc on my life and make me collateral damage. I ask your listeners, think about all the fires you stomp out. Think about when your stress level goes up. You know what they have in common? There's a name attached to them. And we teach people how to discern in the relationship. So when we say giver, we're not identifying and labeling a person. We don't label people. When we say giver, we're identifying giver deeds. When we say taker, it's not like, you know, invasion of the body snatchers, (laughs) taker, you know, we're not identifying. What we're identifying is taker deeds. And we teach people to discern who should you have around you it's like this gentleman a few interviews back he said man there's really great stuff i read this book it said i should have five good people around me i said you're right you should one question which five and all of a sudden he stared at me with this blank look i said you see my point no one's teaching us which five right so that's what we teach we teach which five which people should you have around not judging the people but observing their deeds and based on their deeds, which is what you're going to have to live with, should I pull them closer into my life or should I be respectfully distancing and why? And we teach this even by very granular checklists so that we're not stomping out fires, not of our making, our stress level doesn't go, and our productivity goes up because we're not wasting time putting out fires we didn't make.
0: So this is really fascinating from a from a lean perspective um, and this and you and I when we had talked previously we had talked just a, a little bit about this. So. One of the things that we believe very strongly um, in the lean approach is that. When people do things that sometimes we think are the wrong things, so this is why I need you to explain to us what you mean by a deed. Um, it may not be because they themselves... Are a bad person, or they're lazy, or they're malicious. It may be because the system is working against them. And as leaders, we're the people responsible for the system. So for example, I call my doctor's office because I want a prescription renewed, and it doesn't get renewed for three days. It may or may not be because the receptionist didn't pass the information on to the doctor. It may be because the system that the receptionist is using doesn't allow that information to be communicated properly, and the doctor never sees it. Um, and so I can't say that that person was or was not malicious. I don't. I actually don't know. All I know is the result, um, and the result is based on what happened in the system or this, it, when the, sy- the system actually causes us to make mistakes. So, first, so tell us what you mean by a deed, and then how do you account for the fact that systems can overcome good people?
1: Okay. Um- two things the uh, and I'll address both those for sure happy to do it the deed simply is the action Um, we don't get Uh into the we don't get into the intent we don't get into what someone meant or anything else where this is an observation skill where we separate the person because we still love them we still love them right so we're separating the deed and whether they're doing it whatever reason they're doing for it becomes insignificant we know these are things they're doing now uh, so that's so we puritanically look at the actions and the results, not you know what did they mean by this? Because then that becomes very subjective and goes in all kinds of directions. I was taught this by my parents. I did this because of this. I'm doing this because of this. Now I can share with you and expand upon. Uh, so I hopefully I give definition to deeds. Deeds are their actions, and that's why we don't get into the sub you know the subjective level as to their intents with theirs. Um, We just puritanically go to these other things they're doing and because of those things, do I want those things done in my life around me close or not, right? And so we help people separate the person from the deed because we love everybody. And then we begin to discern. Now that doesn't mean you're rude or nasty or any of those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that there are certain people we're going to have a whole lot more time for than other people. And 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 our lives will benefit because of that. There's some people that you put a when you're around them, you just feel so much happier the moment you watch them walk away. You know, and they're just that. so, you know, so why go through that? You don't need to. You can just uh, sort of yeah. begin to respectfully not be as available. Secondly, when we get into the system, I would share with you that my mentor shared with me a very fu- a very important, profound thought regarding the system. He said, there's going to be many things that happen in your life that you won't have any control over. He said, in the medical community, if you're getting a treatment and you're not handling the treatment. Well, in the medical community, they say you're reacting to the treatment. Is he having a reaction, right? If you're doing well with the treatment and it's working on you, they say, the patient's doing good. They're responding. He said, this is the key. When your intellect controls your emotions, you are responding. When your emotions control your intellect, you are reacting. Nothing good, will come out of your emotions controlling your intellect. He said, so focus on having your intellect control your emotions because you're being responsive. So he said, when we go through life and these many things systemically, as you mentioned, may happen to us. He said, remember, you may not be able to change what happens around you. You're not going to be able to change your environment per se. You know, things that may happen, I say. He said, but one thing you can control, which is the most critical, and that is, how you view the event. You have the freedom of thought. You have the ability to reframe an idea. You have the ability to say, why? When someone says something to you and all of a sudden you jump taking it the wrong way, I mean a person, not you, Bill, but it's a person. When yeah. a person does that, when a person does that and they take it the wrong way, is is there value in simply stopping the train for a second and saying, uh, can I ask what you meant by that? Or why did you say that instead of going off half cock, getting all upset, having the worst day ever, only to never find out that isn't what they meant at all. Simply asking that question. So when you ask why, or what did you mean by that? Now, if the answer is one that you're gonna get a little PO'd about, at least now you're doing it in the right way. <laughs> you're doing it on the facts. You're, you've, you're, not, doing got, it, you're right. not doing it in, in, ignorantly, right? So one thing we can control about the system is the way we perceive it our freedom of thoughts on whether we're going to let it control us or we're going to control it and the way we do that best is by labeling it in our mind with the 35 little conversations we have in our head to ourselves from ourselves every single minute we're awake statistically 1,250,000 Separate conversations per year happen from us to us in our head that no one hears. Those conversations are critical to how we perceive the system and whether it's gonna control us or we're gonna control it. It's our perception of it. Then from that, we know the right moves to make. And now all of a sudden, we're back in the driver's seat.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, when you are when you're teaching people this, what's what's the thing that people react to the most? What where, where do people find that have the most struggle?
1: Uh, from what we teach at Givers University, uh, yeah, realizing that um, how things really do manifest from their thoughts. You know, I believe we have a God-given right of freedom of choice, but people don't realize that that freedom of choice also includes. Our idle thoughts we have the freedom of choice to choose what we want to think about and people just don't they allow other people and they become what we call I call them dependent thinkers in other words what they do is dependent on what other people have said and done to them or for them those they're dependent what they think is dependent on what someone else says or does as opposed to an independent thinker that says I will keep my maintain my own counsel And no matter what anyone else does to me or says to me, I still have the ability to reframe in my mind, what's going on and give it the definition that I want to give it. And I have that ability and that becomes an ongoing, never ending. I still, and I've been working on this for 40 plus decades. Mm -hmm. And I'm still fine tuning it and it'll never be a never ending process because there's always a new challenge and something we never saw before. So, um, in the interest of time, you know, I mean, cause I can as you've surmised, I could keep going and, uh, yeah, I'll we, we could talk it.
0: for a while. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, for our listeners to find out more, I, what I recommend is just go to, you have two places to go. Number one, um, go to our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free. Go on there. It's givers university, all one word givers, University. No on YouTube. Yep all one word no spaces givers university look for a playlist that's called how to form your own givers junto community it has it's a playlist of 21 two-minute clips all free walking you through step by step first how to identify a giver community versus a taker community we hear the word community thrown all over the place today we identify the distinctions then step by step if you want to form that nucleus of people around you what do you do? Step by in two minute clips. This is what you do. Then this is what you do. How do you decide which people do you want to have close to you? Then how do you invite them? What are the expectational agreements? Then all the way through, even to the agenda, we have four of the 21 clips are devoted to now that you've formed your group around you. What do you do? All right. So that's So go to our YouTube channel, find out. It's absolutely free. We give it. We want people to learn at it. we think it's vital. Secondly, they go to our uh, uh, website, giversuniversity.com. They'll see a place to sign up for our newsletter. It's absolutely free. Uh, we are not spammers. So the moment they sign up for the newsletter, they will get an email that they have to respond to. It says, do you want to talk to givers university? If you do not respond, you will get nothing else from us. That's it, right? So they have to respond. If they respond, say, yes, I wanna get emails from Givers University. Two hours later, they will get a spectacular checklist called the 25 Dues. These are the 25 deeds to watch for that when you're discerning, you can actually, we wanna be print it off, download it, use it, put it in your pocket, and then just go through and on the left side, make check marks, right side, and on the bottom, total it, and you're already down the path of where you should be in discerning those deeds and then once a week because we don't spam people i hate that you sign up for something they're blowing up your mail, you know your your mailbox every right you know six six things a day once a week on thursday we send out a newsletter five minute read called the giver's toolbox it's every Thursday Thursday mornings is the only time and from that they learn about Givers University here and there and we're nurturers so they're gonna learn about us our courses things we have available we put our interview podcast different podcasts on there and feature them on there and uh, and it's a five-minute read at best the intention is that every week we give them one tool on Thursday morning that they can add into their relationship toolbox it's absolutely free sign up for the newsletter we'd love to have you participate in benefiting by the things we're providing out there
0: that's great. Thanks. And can you just wrap up um, with your one piece of advice for that 16 year old janitor out there, the, the, uh, the, uh, the young person starting out?
1: And it was a piece of advice that my mentor shared with me. I was, might have been a little bit past 16, but within a year or two for sure. And he talked me into saying three things to myself every day. This is over 40 years ago, 40 years plus. And actually, I just realized coming up, I'm 50 years plus. <laughs> so the uh, you know, I, uh, so I'm getting ready to have my 45th anniversary of my 21st birthday. So the, <laughs> so, the so he talked me into saying these three things to myself every day, and I can share with you as fortunes came and went and came and went and came and went in my life, and the thousands of times we get tackled and we stand back up again, these three quick little phrases had a profound impact on my ability. To choose my thoughts and to move forward no matter what the system did to me or no matter what anyone else said to me or no matter what happened these three little phrases I would pray that your listeners learn these and start saying them to themselves and watch how it helps you and these three phrases are I will never give up I will keep rising up and I will always overcome
0: that's fabulous. Thank you.
1: You're
0: welcome. Hey, EA Salkovitz, thanks so much for traveling with me to the edges of
1: lean. Thank you so much for having me on your great podcast.
0: This is Bella Engelberg, and I'd like to thank EA Salkovitz for being my guest on the edges of lean. Are you a giver? Who are your givers? We'd love to hear from you. Find EA at giversuniversity.com or on LinkedIn and start a conversation. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn and check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Ages of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbeck with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.